If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 7. We'll look at verses 1 through 6 this morning. Text is also there in the bulletin. Um, so in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, as we've uh, considered several times, is talking about the good news, right? He's, he's preaching the, the good news, the blessed life of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is, uh, is where the reality is defined by God's presence with us. Uh, it's about life with God. It's about communion with God. It's about love. God loving us, us loving God, us loving each other in his image. So <clears throat> Jesus is uh, this, this kingdom personified, in a sense. Uh, he is himself God with us. He is both God and man, and therefore uh, he is God with humanity in his own person. So the kingdom of God's love, the kingdom of God's communion is personized in Jesus. He's the king who manifests the kingdom in his own life. He embodies the freedom and the power of the kingdom. He reveals the kingdom of heaven to us for our good. And he invites us. He invites us to join him in his kingdom, to participate in his life, to share his own loving relationship with his own father, to have our reality defined by God's presence with us in him. That's what it means to be part of his kingdom. So one thing that means is that he calls us to stop judging each other, to stop uh, condemning each other, uh, and instead to submit ourselves to his good judgment and then to, look, uh, to help others to do the same. And so um, that's what we'll talk about this morning. <clears throat> Let me pray first, then we can read the scripture. Father, open our eyes to see, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us, help us to hear the king's word and to rejoice in the reality of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So this is a warning. Judge not that you be not judged. He's, Jesus is warning us uh, because he loves us, because he wants what's best for us, and he's trying to help us. Uh, in a sense, that's exactly what he's calling us to do, too. Uh, maybe to warn others because we love them, want what's best for them, and we're trying to help them, right? Uh, sometimes that, that means warning people. To love them means warning people. So, so he warns us not to condemn others. The word judge here uh, can also be translated condemn. I think that probably gives us a better idea of the, the way Jesus is using this word here. Uh, he's basically saying, condemn not that you be not condemned. Right, so in the English language, judgment is, uh, it can, can be a matter of impartial discernment. Obviously, we're not saying there's anything wrong with uh, discernment, uh, but condemnation is that aspect of judgment here. 
Uh, that's when you declare something to be wrong, right? It's when uh, you de- declare something to be bad or evil. So when you condemn someone, you're passing sentence on them. You're denouncing them as guilty. And the effect that this has, that Jesus really is talking about uh, this condemnation, <clears throat> uh, the effect that this has is separation. It's where you distance yourself from the unclean person, the immoral person, the guilty person, the bad person. You're separating yourself from them because you're good and they're bad. Right? That's, that's the effect of condemnation. So by condemning someone, you're saying that they're irredeemable. And the implication is uh, that somehow you're better, somehow you're not guilty, or somehow you are redeemable in a way that the condemned person is not. So when we condemn others, uh, we are looking to justify ourselves. We're looking to assert our goodness over and against their badness. <clears throat> Those of us uh, doing the condemnation... You know, we happily remain in the realm of goodness, uh, while those that we condemn cannot continue with us. They are removed into the realm of badness. Those of us doing the tattling, right? uh, those of us doing the canceling, we're the good ones. We're the righteous ones. You tattle on your brother or your sister, you cancel someone online, you're the righteous one, they're the bad one. Those evildoers, they're cast into the outer darkness where they belong, separated from us. Even if we don't verbalize our condemnation to anybody, right? You don't put it on Twitter, you don't run to your mom and tell on your brother or your sister. Even if we don't verbalize our condemnation to anyone, even if we just condemn others silently in our own hearts, we're looking to create a rift between us in our goodness and them in their badness. And this is not the way of love, Jesus says. This is not the way of love. This is not the way of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus points out the terrible irony of condemning others. Uh, We do it to bolster our own sense of, you know, our own goodness. But the truth of the matter is that it actually exposes our evil. It reveals that we're self-centered, we're self-righteous, we're unloving people who feel good about ourselves when we see evil in other people and we tear others down. When we condemn others, we prove ourselves worthy of the the same condemnation. That's how Jesus talks about it. It's evil to lash out at others in condemnation of their evil. And that that evil, our evil, is going to come back on us. It'll destroy us. So Jesus starts this passage with this warning, judge not that you be not judged. And he closes this passage with the same warning, really, uh, using language, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's, it's more like a parable, which some of his parables can be difficult to understand. Um, so he says in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So <clears throat> I, I don't think we should hear this as Jesus saying, you know, sometimes it's actually good to condemn and judge people as dogs. Sometimes they really are dogs, or they really are pigs, They really are utterly unworthy of even hearing the gospel anymore because they're so hostile that they will turn and attack you. Therefore, don't even share the gospel with them because they're so bad. They're so forsaken and and dogs and pigs, right? Uh, That's a pretty standard interpretation of this verse, actually. I couldn't find a commentary that uh, didn't say that. But there are, I think, too many things uh, wrong with it. Uh, And I I think without going into all those things, I I think we should understand it this way. If you treat people like dogs, if you treat people like pigs, like beastly street dogs, 
or immoral, is kind of the picture in the scriptures, unclean pigs, if you treat them that way, basically condemn others as evil, then when you throw accusations at them, it will mean your own ruin. Your accusations might be true. They might be nuggets of wisdom. They might be holy words, right? They might be precious insights like pearls from the scriptures. But if you just lob them at others simply to accuse them and condemn them, it will ultimately be self-destructive. It'll backfire on you. It'll come back to bite you. It's like the, you see this in in the scriptures, in the Proverbs, the, the wicked who lay snares for others. And the psalmist, the king, prays that they would fall into their own snares. Judge not, that you be not judged, right? In the righteous judgment of God, those who condemn others will themselves be condemned. Paul says this uh, very clearly in Romans 2, probably picking up on uh, similar themes here. Uh, He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So a condemning heart is a condemned heart, according to the scriptures. If you use judgment as a weapon against others, then you'll die by that same weapon. Dietrich Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer says in uh, Cost of Discipleship, which is... uh, You should go through the Sermon on the Mount in that book. He says, The disciples are not to judge. If they do so, they will themselves be judged by God. The sword wherewith they judge their brethren will fall upon their own heads. Instead of cutting themselves off from their brother as the just from the unjust, they find themselves cut off from Jesus. So the impulse to find something wrong in other people to attack or even simply to complain about. Uh, It comes from the desire to separate ourselves from them. And if what we fundamentally want is separation, then we'll have it. We'll have separation, even from God, the God of love, and from his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Live by condemnation, die by condemnation. But Jesus uh, came into the world to save us from our own condemning hearts and our own condemned hearts. He said in John 3... Uh, right after the most famous verse in the world, John 3.16, verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God's the only just judge. Jesus says that actually judgment has been given to him. Jesus is the true judge. He says in John 5, the father has given all judgment to the son. He's given him authority to execute judgment as the son of man. So as both God and man, Jesus has the authority to judge. If anyone has the right to judge and condemn other people, it's Jesus. He's the only good Lord. If anyone has the right to condemn, it's him. But he did not come to condemn. He says it. He came to save and to forgive us, to love us, to bring us into the kingdom of his love, and to help us to love even as he loves. So the judge went to the cross. He didn't deserve to go there. The judge went to the cross. He suffered the condemnation that we deserve. He was judged guilty as if he were a condemning sinner, as if he were self-righteous. He was judged guilty. And when he opened his mouth, even hanging on the cross, he never condemned. He prayed and he spoke 
words of forgiveness, words of mercy. He has worked against the separation of condemnation, and he has worked a good judgment for us in his own death. He's brought us together as brothers and sisters at the foot of his cross. That's where we're brought together, at the foot of his cross. According to the scriptures, uh, judgment isn't just about exposing evil. It's not just about punishing evil, not just about labeling it and destroying it. It isn't just about distinguishing and separating what is good from what is evil. It's about those things. But in the scriptures, more completely, judgment is about making things right. It's about healing and restoring. So in the good judgment of Jesus, he takes bad people who condemn each other in their self-righteousness, and he reconciles us to a good God and to each other. So we stand at the foot of the cross of his good judgment, and we look together up at him, hanging there, and we see where our condemning hearts were taking us when we look there. We recognize that we deserved the death sentence that he got. We deserved the outer darkness and the utter, utter separation from the kindness of God. And we look and we see that sentence passed, and we see our judgment executed upon him. But as he took our condemnation, he made it the place of our justification. He made it the place of our forgiveness, the place of reconciliation. For we stand there together, brothers and sisters, at the foot of his cross. We're standing there together in the place of love, not condemnation. And that is where we participate in his life. That's where we participate in his kingdom. We submit ourselves to the good judgment of the cross of his love. And that means a new way of living when it comes to seeing the sins of our brothers and our sisters. Entirely new way of living when it comes to seeing what is really wrong with our brothers and sisters. It means when we see those sins, we no longer see it as an occasion for condemnation. Uh, Bonhoeffer, again, but different book, Life Together. This is one of my favorite quotes, uh, so it gets cycled through regularly. He says, even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother still a brother with whom I, too, stand under the word of Christ? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ? Thus, the very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparably salutary because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words or deeds, but only by that one word and deed which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. So now we see our brother's sin as an occasion for the celebration of the cross together. And that means that we need our, to uh, lead our brother or our sister to Jesus, to the good judgment of the cross of his love. So in the parallel passage to this, uh, this is in Matthew's Gospel. Luke has the uh, same thing recorded, some slight variations. Um, <clears throat> he says in Luke 6, uh, Jesus says, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? So Jesus talks about this 
blind man leading a blind man or somebody who's teaching something that they hopefully understand. We're not meant to condemn. We're not meant to separate. We're not meant to send other sinners away from us. We're meant to lead them to Jesus for love's sake and for reconciliation. But blind people can't lead other blind people. Our self-righteous hypocrisy blinds us, makes us unable to help our sinning brother. It makes us unable to teach him truly about God's mercy in Christ. It makes us unable, unable to lead him to the good judgment of the cross of his love. But Jesus has opened a new way to us through his grace, a way to look at our brother and, and to only see another person standing at the foot of the cross just as we are. Guilty ones looking at the innocent one hanging in our place, declaring us not guilty, setting us free to love. So he says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So if you're going to, the whole point is, if you're going to be a condemning hypocrite, you'll be of no real help to your brother. But if you first take the, the log out of your own eye, if you truly deal with your own sins by going to the cross, if you take them to Jesus, and you submit to his good judgment, and you receive his forgiving love, and you apply the gospel to yourself, then you'll see clearly. You won't be the blind man anymore. You'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's good judgment. Submitting yourself first to Jesus' reconciling judgment, then leading your brother to that same gracious judgment for love's sake, for love's sake. Jesus doesn't say, uh, <clears throat> you know, once you stop being a hypocrite, you just stop being condemning of other people. Don't, just, there's nothing wrong with them. Just leave them alone. Right? He says, yes, there's something wrong with your brother. But you'll only be able to help him, you'll only be able to love him when you've first been loved by me. So it's, it's only when you know the true freedom from condemnation that's found in Christ that you'll turn to your brother not in condemnation but in love. And when you love them, you'll, you'll graciously address their faults. You'll try to help them to change. You'll care about what's wrong with them because you've seen the same things in yourself. This is what it means to pray Psalm 51. Our Old Testament reading that Sarah read earlier. Uh, to pray it as it's meant to be prayed, first we confess the absolute God-centeredness of our sin, our rebellion against God. We confess it to him. We ask him for his mercy. We wrestle through the application of the atonement of Jesus for us. We seek the joy of salvation, salvation from ourselves, salvation from our own sin. Then says in verse 13 of Psalm 51, then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So <clears throat> notice in our passage, Jesus is saying, the person you're looking to help in this way is your brother. Right? Someone who is like you. Someone who shares your nature. Someone who is a beloved part of your family. And he means your spiritual family in the church. And notice that uh, logs and specks, these things that are in our eyes, right? they're made of the same material. They're wood. So we should recognize that we have the same problem of sin as our brother does 
or our sister in the church. And we should know how to help others with that same problem because we've already dealt with that same problem by going to Jesus. So we say, I understand this person's problem because I'm just like this person. This person is my brother or sister standing at the foot of the cross with me. I'm just like this person. I have the same kind of problem. Mine might, in fact, be a bigger problem. Jesus helps me with my problems, so I know he can help this person. Because we're the same. We have the same problem. Jesus is steering us toward confessional and empathetic gospel counseling. It's confessional because Jesus has freed us to confess our sins to him, to find forgiveness and find reconciliation in his cross. And that also means confessing our sins out loud when other people can hear it. Right? Confessional gospel counseling. It's also empathetic because we can 100% relate to other sinners who have a hard time confessing their sins, who need to be set free by Jesus to do that. We say, this person, my brother, my sister, with a speck in their eye, this person is probably unwilling even to admit their true problem. This person probably is unwilling to do honest self-evaluation, just like I myself was unwilling before encountering God's grace, before becoming convinced of God's love for me in Christ. This person needs the freedom and love of God's kingdom, just like I do, and I can actually demonstrate that freedom and that love of God's kingdom by confessing my own struggles with the same kinds of sins, by telling this person of the mercy that's found in Jesus. So when Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He isn't just telling you, you know, prepare your heart. You got to work with your own problems. You got to take your own stuff to Jesus. You got to get your heart ready to love and help other people. He is saying that. He's not just saying that. He's also giving you a way to help other people. He's giving you a way, a, a, a way to love and help others, a gospel counseling method. They might not always feel loved. Uh, People can feel condemned by Christians even when we aren't being condemning. We're not trying to. But the freedom, the freedom to confess your sins to others, the same sins that they struggle with, that's powerful. That can be powerful. So remember, hypocrites, they're reluctant to acknowledge their own sin. So when you say, Jesus makes it okay for me to acknowledge my sin, Jesus... It's helping me to recover from my own hypocrisy. That can help fellow hypocrites who would otherwise like to pretend that there's nothing really wrong with them. They might just start to see how going to Jesus is better than whatever they're doing. So we can pray for that. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray for our brothers and sisters. That's the kind of prayer God answers. This gets a little bit into next week's passage. Um, Uh, the next thing Jesus goes on to talk about, but Jesus tells us to ask and it will be given to us, right? He's talking about, really, he's talking about asking for the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our own sin, who directs us to Jesus, who convinces us of the truth of of the gospel and who fills us with the love of God to point others to Christ for their own salvation. We can ask for God's kingdom to come in us and through us that the reality of God with us in Jesus would bring us to confess our own sins And that this would be good also for our brothers and sisters who sin and who need Jesus. So one thing the Holy Spirit does uh, is to bring us here together every week. 
to practice the confession of our sin, practice that together. So we should be pretty good at it in our daily lives and in our relationships with each other. We should be pretty good, pretty free to confess our sins and help other people to do that. When you demonstrate the peace and the joy that's found in taking your sins to Jesus, when you stop the denial, you stop the hiding, stop the self-justification that we're all prone to, it really can help others to taste and see that the Lord is good so that they turn to him for life. When you confess and you go to Jesus for his good judgment, it helps other people do the same. And that's where Jesus wants this to go. He wants us to turn to him together for life, to stand at the foot of his cross together, to let his way of life and his love rule our lives together. And that's better than condemnation. That's participating in the blessed life of his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you didn't send Jesus to condemn us, even though we we suspect that you would do just that thing. uh, You did not. And he made it explicit that he came to save us from the condemnation that we deserve. So we thank you for the good judgment of Jesus, that he was condemned in our place for our sins, that he turned this condemnation into our salvation. Your gracious love is the most powerful thing in all reality, is much more powerful than our sin. So we thank you for setting us free to live in your kingdom with you. Thank you for inviting us to participate in the love of your kingdom. We pray that you'd help us always to submit to your good judgment, that you uh, would help us to process our own sins with you, that you'd help us to look to others with love rather than condemnation in our hearts, that you would send your spirit to help us all, brothers and sisters standing at the foot of your cross together, to see in you, Christ, our reconciliation and our redemption. We pray these things in your name. Amen.